And I'm David. And this month we are beginning, I'd call it a premature summer of JoJo, but with the weather we've been having in the Portland metro area, it's effectively summer now anyway, so I guess the weather is supporting this concept. Hey, I've already started grilling, so it's summer. <laughs> um, before we get started talking about the show itself, might as well just catch up and see what we've been doing. Um, so, um, for starters... Um, with our previous pick, um, Bochi the Rock has inspired me to go with things opening up. Go buy tickets to concerts. Nice. Um, Band Made was going to be coming to the Portland metro area in August and will be playing the Crystal Ballroom. So I have already got myself a ticket um, in the floor area. So this is going to be my first time. Seeing a concert, well, it'll be my first concert. I'm going to see Final Fantasy Distant Worlds at the Schnitz next uh, in June, but this will be my first time seeing a rock concert or anything like that since um, COVID, and also my first time seeing a concert in the Crystal Ballroom. So that's gonna be fun. Yeah, it should be great. It's a nice venue. I think the last concert we went to was the Decemberists, or was it Metric? <laughs> It was or a me- long time ago. <laughs> no, no, no. Decemberist was definitely after Metric, just based on which uh, Dresden book we had just come out that we were reading, waiting for the band to start. <laughs> uh, oh, no, no. I think we saw Star Wars in concert after after the Decemberists. So maybe that was our last one. Uh, yeah. On the anime front, I started watching uh, the newer Space Battleship Yamato, uh, twenty one ninety nine. Ah, yes. Um, Which, from what I understand, is basically just a straight re- shot-for-shot remake. <laughs> not quite. Um, so, among other things, um, probably the big one is the original series, like, at a certain point, basically the episode where they have the last radio communication with Earth... Um, with the exception of Yuki Sato, uh, all the female cast drops off the series because the um, producers of the show said, well, wait a minute. Um, you can't have women on a military spaceship because this was the 70s. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like, okay, so the men get uniforms and the women get essentially normal suits from Gundam, <laughs> from the original Gundam. And I'm like, that like the first episode, I was like, "Okay, she hasn't changed out of her spacesuit. That's fine." And now she, now, now everyone's on the bridge. And then, and what? This, this is weird. <laughs> Why? That's, that's Liji Masumoto character designs for you, pretty much. Um, I am interested to see the live action Space Battleship Yamato series uh, movie, rather. That, that um, is on my watch list too. Because they attempting to adapt those costumes to live action, while also they're tr- from the, the snippets I've seen, they're doing a very uh, new Battlestar Galactica aesthetic. Like they like they are very clearly influenced by um, the by the production design and some of the camera work stuff that was used for the space for the um, new Battlestar Galactica television series. Um, I mean, we so say I, new, it, but it lasted longer than the original. And is generally more strongly thought of. True. I'll finish it eventually. The third season just... They killed momentum and they killed my interest. (laughs) (laughs) True, but but by comparison to say if um, they took inspirational cues from like Babylon 5 or the J.J. Abrams Trek. Or I think it was because I, I think I think that was out at that time. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, New Trek started in two thousand nine, so I think right after Galactica ended. Yeah. So so the the Yamato live action movie would probably still been doing some production design, like pre production at that time. So they probably could have it said, "Oh no, we're going to go for more JJ uh, 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 Abrams Trek instead," considering. Um, Space Battleship Yamato does definitely take some cues both from Star Wars and Star Trek in certain in certain respects, um, as far as like the original series. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's one of the few fairly hard military sci-fi animes. Well, not one of the few, one of the first, I should have said. Yeah. Um, like There's a fair number of those, particularly once you start getting... Oh, God, like, yes, yes, there's so many, yeah. No, no, definitely one of the first, not one of the few there yeah, are. But particularly once you start getting, quote-unquote, real robots installed, when you get involved, when you get into, like, uh, Votoms, which is super great... And anything with uh, Ryosuke Takahashi, I think is, lot, is his name, the creator of Votoms, like super, get, tends to get super duper gritty. Um, well, I mean, that's the question. Do you want gritty or do you want the de- the creator has gone straight into, de- has hit depression and it's at their worst with Space Runaway Idiot, where just that's tr- everyone that, dies. That's true. Um, we could have I, a very interesting discussion about... All of the Gundam series and the arc of, of mental illness coming through each one. <laughs> I mean, if yeah. Um, although that's sort of at the exact opposite end of the anime spectrum from what we're reviewing this month, which is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. We're covering the first season, which adapts the Stardust, not adapts the Phantom Blood and Battle Tendency arcs. We'll be covering the first half of uh, Stardust Crusaders next month. And so, um, quick question: So, did you watch this subbed or dubbed? We watched it dubbed. We watched it dubbed with the subtitles on. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes they disagreed a little bit on oh, the translation. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is... Yeah, we watched it on uh, Netflix. Correct. Yeah. I watched it subbed on Netflix just because um, we also tend to, agree, uh, to disagree a certain degree on the localization, on the um, translation with the um, Japanese audio. For example, um, the first of the Pillarmen in... Uh, in Battle Tendency is localized into English as Santa Viento. But it's, San- when, it's Santana because they're all yes. they're all musicians. Everyone in the show is a mu- is named after a musician. Yep, and it's always interesting to see what characters where they keep the names of of the musician or music group intact, and which ones they don't. Right? Um, yeah. Who's making like, these decisions? <laughs> like Dio. They keep Dio. Um, I expect I expected that. Not surprised by that one. Um, not, not not only do they keep as like this passing character. I don't know if he plays a larger role in the manga, but as a passing character at the tail end of Phantom Blood, you have the priest Styx, who is spelled name is spelled like the band. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other hand, you have. Um, Robert E.O. Speedwagon. <laughs> yep, Robert E.O. Speedwagon. But also thinking like um, Goggins and Miss and um, I forget they get localized as um, in Battle Tendency um, with Loggins and Messina. Um, I forget how they get localized as in the English version. Um, no, it was just, or, or, it was, yeah, it was Machina in the. In the dub. Okay. But uh, named, of course, after uh, Kenny Loggins and um, uh, Jim Messina. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, ACDC. <laughs> yep. <laughs> ACDC and Cars. And Cars. <laughs> uh, Wham, which was Wham. localized yeah. as Wamu, but it, it's Wham. <laughs> it's Wham. It's Wham. Uh,. It's also interesting, like me rewatch, like rewatching this now, because after this, I'd watch after I watched it the first time, but before I rewatch it this time, I had watched the first season of Bastard, 
on uh, Netflix, uh, which is, you have to pronounce the exclamation mark. It's important. Um, of course it's and important. That if is, it wasn't, it wouldn't be there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, which is a sort of fantasy, not sort of fantasy, a very fantasy series, um, swords and sorcery inspired. And it, it like Jojo is a work where you can tell what musicians and artists the writer is listening to by the references he puts in the music, the references he puts in the work. Um, and like in the, in Bastard on Netflix, they just don't care. Like they don't bother changing the localization names or anything like that. Like the kingdom is, is it's the kingdom of Metallica. Um, the casting the um, spells like Halloween and um, ride the lightning and that sort of thing. It's it, it's very much a we don't care if metal if any of these heavy metal bands, including metal including the infamously litigious Metallica, sue us. We have Netflix money. <laughs> yep. And you, so <laughs> you know this we, is we an, this is an interesting thing to look at because I I kind of feel like this way of making media where you basically just throw out references to everything you love and wait for people who also love it to just join you is a very modern concept. Um, and yet JoJo's is quite old, right? It goes back to the 80s. The 80s. Uh, yeah, like the two arcs of the manga that we're covering right now, the storyline, um, Phantom Blood and Battle Tendency, um, are from, go through 1987 through 1989. Um, and it, like these are like the other aspect of JoJo's, which is you can tell also what shows and movies the um, the creator uh, Hirohiko Araki is reading and watching um, based on the references that's being made in the work. Like these two seasons are probably the most like Phantom Blood is just strictly horror in a lot of respects. Oh yeah. Uh, Battle Tendency has a lot of horror elements to it. It's a bit less so, but that still has very elements of significant elements of horror. And you can tell, okay, like for Phantom Blood. Uh, Araki is watching hammer horror films. He's watching Kung Fu movies um, from Hong Kong and uh, and Taiwan, particularly stuff of like the supernatural of the like Mr. Vampire um, close encounters of the spooky kind, kind of campy martial arts horror things. Um, and uh, so he and he's so he's watching those and he's mashing them all together to make this can't be oh, also and he's watching David Cronenberg stuff because we start getting stuff like characters like trying to grab hold of people by their like arteries and that's something mm -hmm. all sorts of weird body horror stuff um and and so you have all of those elements in there and then when battle tent get into battle tendency I don't know when Saint Seiya started running I actually need to look this up oh, um, Saint Seiya, that is because like I'm because we have the Saint Seiya manga now available in the Shonen Jump app, so I've kind of been slightly perusing that. And, like, there's a portion of the training arc. Ooh. Uh, um, it started in October of 86. Okay, so yeah, it's a little before JoJo starts running. Uh, and we were born mentioned both of these were running in weekly Shonen Jump, so he's in the same, so they're in the same magazine. So, clear, so um, this is definitely a case of Rocky's probably picking up Shonen Jump, see, looking at the polls and that sort of thing and seeing what his contemporaries are doing. Oh, 86. Uh, That's also when Dragon Ball's running. Yeah. So. Uh, but like, I'm particularly thinking here of like um, Saint Seiya, like, even like the very first chapter has some of like the spectacular over-the-top training montage storyline yes. things where you have to, where it's complete, where successfully accomplished this training and you will get, you, you will, you either get stronger and accomplish this training, or you will just die. <laughs> right. It, it will just succeed or die. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this comes up in battle tendency. So I could see like Araki going like this, doing this kind of thing doesn't fit with what I'm doing in phantom blood, but this is a good concept. I'm going to file this away for later. And certainly lots of other people have 
done the same thing over time. I remember seeing this late, much later in Bleach, for example. Um, I think what makes it so compelling to me as a Western reader is that I am picking up on all of these Western influences. You got gothic horror with the vampires. You have fashion references. And of course, you have Western music references. And I'm getting all of that. But um, there are also things that make it uniquely Japanese that make it different from anything else I've ever seen. And I, I think it's important to mention that Jojo is kind of its own beast in a way. Um, it, it's very different from anything I've ever seen. Although it reminds me of a lot of different things. It is very much its own thing. And I think that's um, a big part of its enduring popularity. Yep. Um, it also helps that like um like jojo has had a long like it's still running um and it's like had a long lasting influence on lots of other manga creators and that sort of thing um so we like i remember when this when the show started running and paying attention to sort of anime social media and anime message boards and that sort of thing like the re recurring motif was that was a jojo's reference yeah with with the discussion as they're seeing all this stuff before. Um, oh, I do need to mention this. Um, um, this comes up with sort of a recurring motif throughout this. Um, there is cruelty to animals in the Jojo Bizarre Adventure storyline. Like, in multiple art parts of the arc, of the, of the stories we're covering today, this will come up again in later storylines. I remember this is a thing where um, when with the discussion of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 of people saying, hey, word of warning, bad things happen to animals in this movie. So I'm going to, so... Good to know. For people who are, yeah, for yeah. people who are sensitive to this, jo um, Araki, bad things happen to animals in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, period, full stop, every arc. Um, it is something where Araki uses... Cruelty to animals by by characters as a indicator of whether they are a sympathetic antagonist or not. Um, Dio Brando murders Jojo's dog in like the first episode of the show. Oh, it, uh, it, it's not even murders his dog. It's it's really murders his. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah we're, we're not going to go into detail, but it, it, it's fairly horrific. Yes, like like Dio murders Jojo's dog. Um, later on in, um, in Battle Tendency, a bad thing happens to, a gratuitous bad thing happens to a squirrel. Um, in, uh, later on in Battle Tendency, um, brought up, caused by one of the Pillar Men. Um, I believe specifically Cars. Uh, yeah, generally speaking, if something ter someone's doing something terrible, it's probably cars and battle tendency. Fair. Um, <laughs> not to say that, oh, not to say that all the villains aren't bad, but like most of them at least have sort of this weird code of honor thing. There is a very yeah. interesting tendency for the villains in this show to be either completely irredeemable or on some sort of spectrum. Like, at, at the at the ally end of which you have Von Stroheim, who is a very interesting character, and then you go up to, like, Wamu, who is definitely bad, but, again, has that code of honor. Yeah, very much... Yeah, with, with Wamu, it's very much, you know, in another life, you and I could have been friends. Yeah. Like, like Wamu... Like, I feel like... like when we're like reintroduced to him or introduced to him um, in Italy, like we're introduced with him, like killing two drunk drivers and saving, uh, so saving a cat or other animal from two drunk drivers and then also killing those two drunk drivers by cutting off their hands so that they go crash into right. um, a um, building or uh, light post and their car explodes. Yeah. Uh. But I think the characterizations are generally really good. And I mean, you want your characters to be on a spectrum. Like, mm -hmm. it's okay to have one really, or one or two really irredeemable, unrepentant villains um, to add to the fantasy aspect and give you someone to root against. But then everybody else is like a full character, you know? They have 
differing reactions to things based on differing aspects of their personality, which feels realistic. Yeah. Even though, like, some of them get very limited screen time, you still get a sense of, okay, this is what they're about, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's just efficient writing, efficient characterization. Yeah. Um, okay. Worth noting for the characters is that it's called JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and it's a series of different characters, all of whom are from the same family and have the same nickname of JoJo. The first one was Jonathan Joestar. Yeah, Jonathan Joestar, and then the second JoJo we encounter is his grandson, Joseph Joestar. Yes. Um, And they're different, and that's great. Honestly, they are totally different characters, (laughs) despite looking so very similar. Um, yeah, like, like, this is, this is, like, probably, like, one of the other big influences here from a long-term, um, like, wide anime influence standpoint is, this is, like, the first Shonen Jump multi-generational saga. Oh. Um, arguably without this, we don't have, um, Dragon Ball making the leap from Goku to Gohan. Um, we don't get, um, the leap from Naruto to Boruto. Despite, despite how much Toriyama really tried to make that leap stick. Yeah. Goku's like, story yeah, is over. This is Gohan's story. But Goku's popular, so you need to have Goku. Yeah. Like we have, but yeah, we don't get like him. we don't get um It Go- doesn't stick. It never <laughs> sticks. Like like we'll get Gohan. For that matter, we also don't get Trunks necessarily, though Trunks is kind of a weird mix of the JoJo multi-generational thing, plus I think Possibly Cable from Marvel Comics because X Men has apparently always been kind more, of he's more Bishop than he is Cable. That's true. Like he's got like like X X Men has a remarkably like degree significant degree of popularity in Japan. Like all the Marvel like all the superheroes and stuff. Oh, it, um, to, to all of our listeners, if you have a chance, go check out the Japanese intro for the nineteen nineties X Men cartoon. It is. Like the the English one's really really good. Do not get me wrong. I love the work of Ron Wasserman. The Japanese one is extra. It, it is so beyond. <laughs> it is straight nineties anime, and then it goes into a very western. <laughs> they turn it for a western show. I don't know why they did it, but it's amazing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, with the multi generational thing, apparently, like this was kind of part of the concept from the beginning. I'm I'm perusing Wikipedia on this and. Like doing some background research, and one of the things is apparently Araki took a significant influence from um, East of Eden for the kind of multi for like the long-standing feud between families. So in this case, it'd be the Joestar and just Dio and his vampire family, and then also Roots by Alex Haley. Um, in terms. In terms of the the long term multi generational thing, although multi generational epic there, yeah, <laughs> yeah, although none of the little of the racial like less than zero, like a little bit of the racial politics of roots come in, but not really. It, it's not, um, it, in JoJo, it's not really the racial politics. It's because uh, because. Um, Phantom Blood, the thing that starts it off is set in England. There are, there is definitely some uh, class. Yeah. There's classes. I, yes. yes. Yeah, there, there's some classism. We get a little bit of depiction of, ra- of institutional racism at the start of Battle Tendency when we're introduced to the uh, supporting character of Smokey. Um, I was worried. Yes. When I saw this character appear, I was very nervous. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and like, yeah, Smokey is like the, like the main African-American character in the story. Um, at this point, uh, he is like, he's handled pretty well. He is basically kind of the, for the bat, for the battle tendency, not for for the, um, battle tendency, he's basically kind of our initial proxy for Speedway. Uh, and that he, in that Speedwagon, when he's introduced in the Phantom Blood arc, my quick explanation. Actually, we should probably actually use some quick backgrounds to explain the, st- the plots of each of these arcs so we don't bounce, so yeah. we don't confuse people too much. <laughs> yeah, we, we should definitely cover the story so people aren't super confused. Okay, so uh, as, as we're about 30 minutes into the episode. <laughs> this is uh, JoJo, so, you guys. There's so many tangents. <laughs> yeah. So, Phantom, 
So, summarizing from the summary, the further summary on Wikipedia, Phantom Blood. We are began our story begins in late nineteenth century England, following jo Jonathan Joestar, the young son of a wealthy land landowner, and Dio Brando, the um, son of basically kind of a scumbag, um, an absolute scumbag, an absolute scumbag fr from uh, London. Um, Dio's father attempted to rob a uh, uh, carriage accident which had um, where Jonathan's father was at, and Jonathan's father interpreted it as a rescue attempt, uh, and off and pledged to take. Um, uh, Basically, he pledged, Dio, you know, if you ever need help, just ask me, and I'll give yeah, it to yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. If you ever need help, just come to me. And this leads to after. Dio's father dies by Dio's hand. Yeah, um, slow poisoning. To make um, him think he was just sick. Yep. Dio um, comes to the Joestar household and is adopted by um, Jonathan's dad as uh, Jonathan Joestar's stepbrother. And Dio attempts to usurp Jonathan's place in the family and claim the family fortune. Things go sideways, and so... Dio uses a ancient stone mask that from an archaeological dig in uh, Mexico to turn himself into a vampire. Um, uh, Jonathan Joestar manages to overcome him, but not permanently. So he is trained in the um, somewhat martial art of manipulating Haman or ripple energy by the Italian uh, martial arts expert Zeppelli. Um, yeah. as in like Led Zeppelin, yeah. uh, and they eventually overcome Dio, but, uh, and Jonathan Joestar and his beloved go on a, or to go on their honeymoon to America, America, but alas, Dio has one final plan to, along with his sidekick, um, sidekick who is Wang, very yellow peril. <laughs> Yeah, very yellow peril, Wang Chung, um, to uh, attempt to um, basically restore Dio to life by sticking his head on Jonathan Joestar's body. And Dio and Joestar are seemingly killed in the configuration of the boat, which destroyed the process, but uh, a young girl and um, Jonathan jo and Jonathan Joestar's wife, Irina, uh, managed to escape. Uh, his pregnant wife. Pregnant wife. It does not say that she is pregnant at this point, but yes, it's pregnant wife. But no, the fact that it immediately switches to a grandson implies that there was a baby on the way. <laughs> Fair. Now, if you're shaking um, your head and thinking, wait, what? Yes. That is normal. <laughs> but yep. it all holds together better like, than you might it, think. <laughs> this show throws things at you so fast... But they do stick. Yeah. It's like, wait, what? I mean, I get it, but that was okay. <laughs> yeah. Fast forward to a 1938, um, and Jonathan Joestar's grandson, Joseph Joestar, who is living in New York, traveled to New York City with uh, his grandmother, Arena, and where where he is a, a attempt is made on their life by um, one of the friends of uh, apprentices of Jonathan Joestar's mentor, uh, Straight So, or Straight. Um, the other one, Dyer, tragically passed away during the previous arc. Um, where Straight So reveals that uh, the, um, the forces that created the mask are still at work um, and that they are involved and that someone who's looked and seeking out for them has been um, Jonathan Joestar's ally, who we didn't mention much because he's basically just exists to do color commentary in the first arc. Uh, yeah. Richard E.O. Speedwagon. Yeah. I love Speedwagon. Um, Speedwagon is like a flamboyant member of a London gang, and then he meets Jonathan Joestar, and he is immediately just ride or die for this man. <laughs> and by extension, his entire family... <laughs> Forever. <laughs> Speedwagon's purpose, primarily in Phantom Blood, 
is to be the, oh my god, what is happening? To just narrate exactly what's going on and just how unbelievable it is. And he does a great job. (laughs) I mean, he he does a good job, but it does sort of, it, it can take you out a little in that this is very much a he's telling, not showing. Yes. Yeah. Um, Which I, so, I understand more in the manga when, you know, things, when, because it's static images, you know, it can be a little hard to interpret what's going on at times. But in animation, it's a lot less forgivable. <laughs> this is true. Um, in Battle Tendency, I would mention about uh, uh Joseph Joestar's trait is, well, he knows how to use Haman when we are, by the time we're already introduced to him. Uh, he's not necessarily as strong a practitioner as his grandfather. He hasn't been undergone quite the same training, but he is an accomplished stage musician and a bit, um, magician, rather, and a bit of a con artist. Um, yes. And so, <clears throat> in any case, after um, learning about what's going on with with Speedwagon, Joseph rushes to Mexico where he learns that the expedition to investigate the uh, origin of the masks and a mysterious pillar um, has been co-opted by the Nazis. The Nazis. Worth noting, in the show, they do not call them Nazis. They are just referred to as the German army. However... This is not... This is 1938. This is 1938. <laughs> they are. Um, they're they're unsubtle. Let's put it that way. Yeah, they're they're straight Nazis. Honestly, their main one, von Stroheim, bears a shocking resemblance to Guile from Street Fighter. Uh, yeah, like, um, the creators of Street Fighter have made a, uh, multiple references, comments that yeah, several characters from Street Fighter have been um are inspired by JoJo. There you go. Um. Or, or, by, or by JoJo characters. Yeah. So, uh, the difference being... Yeah, but yeah. Um, difference being is that Guile is American and not a Nazi. <laughs> yep. Uh, indeed. So, they, they managed to overcome one of the Pillar Men, and <laughs> at one point they have to rush off to Venice... Because there's more pillar men there. Yeah. Uh, Worth noting is um, that at this point, um, in order to stop the pillar men, von Stroheim, the Nazi, gets a heroic death of basically jumping on a grenade or grabbing a grenade and clutching it to himself in order to stop the terrible vampire. <laughs> we have to talk about von Stroheim later. Lots of interesting things there. Continue. Yeah. Yep. Um,. So they go to uh, Italy, where they're introduced to the grandson of Zapelli, um, Cesar, and they learn like that... He, he, uh, he's Italian. It should be Cesare, right? <laughs> probably, yes, Cesare, I guess. But but, uh, they keep, but they kept calling him Caesar, and I'm like, but that, it's not Latin, it's Italian. <laughs> Whatever, yeah, you whatever. know... <laughs> <laughs> of all the things to get caught up on, that is probably the worst. Okay, let's continue. Indeed. Um, so they discover three more pillar men. The pillar men of um, ACDC, Wham, Wamu, and Cars. Um, and, jo- and Joseph and, and Cesar realize that they are absolutely outmatched, and so they, um, Joseph has a cunning plan and gets them to agree to give them a couple months to try and train up to be a worthy challenge. Yeah, it's like, oh, oh, yeah, you could kill us, but it's too bad. You'll never have a worthy fight. I mean, if you'd given me a month, I totally could have kicked your butt. But, I mean, oh, guess you don't really want a good fight. Nat 20 bluff check. (laughs) (laughs) Is that bluff or is that persuasion? (laughs) I'm not sure. Uh, (laughs) Considering, uh, yeah, probably either both. Uh, this falls in the category of, um, of roll a bluff or persuasion check, whichever one is higher. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I want to give props both- to the English voice actor for <laughs> for that scene in particular. It was amazing. 
He kind of said it pretty much like David just said, oh, no, you'll never have a worthy opponent if you kill us now. Like, <laughs> it was great. Yeah. So they are taken. So to train up, to, to stand a chance against the Pillarmen, they are taken to um, to Lisa Lisa, who is secretly, um, though it is not revealed until the very end of the season, uh, Joseph's mom. Um, where they go, where, uh, an internationally wanted criminal. Yes. Um, a lot of characters have criminal pasts, just a lot. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we get it. (laughs) Um, and so Joseph and Cesar go through basically training from hell to get their, uh, Haman up to speed. And finally at the end of the month, the um, cars and ACDC show uh, cars, ACDC and Wham show up. They go through various battles. Um, Cesar, di- Cesar, much as his grandfather before him, dies tragically. Um, in fact, which is actually kind of spoiled in the opening credits. Now that I think about it, yes, I also realized that after the fact. <laughs> that that's the that's the great thing about the credits in this show is that. They will show you things in the credits, and you're like, oh, that's cool. And then you'll get to a point in the season, and you're like, oh my god, that's what it was? <laughs> yep. Uh, and they um, eventually overcome the pill, like, overcome ACDC and Wham, at which point, however, Cars manages to or they put, put a plan together to obtain the Redstone of Asia spelled A-J-A, like the album by Steely Dan. And um, so they have to chase after it to get that. Uh, Cars manages to turn himself into the ultimate life form using the stone and a mask. But through... The heroic arrival of the German army. Yes, the the German army. And the the Speedwagon Foundation. (laughs) Right they are down. able to, and some very um, careful use of Joseph's um, final ultimate technique of run the hell away. Um, they are able to get cars to a volcano where he is shot into space. Um, and where he will adrift, or where he will be um, left adrift until at some, until at whatever point that Iraqi decides to turn this into a science fiction series and have him get found and thought out. Also, Which there's hasn't a chariot hap- death race. A proper circus. <laughs> yep. Uh, so with that quick synopsis out of the way. Oh, um, super quick because this show. <laughs> yeah, that like, like, like yeah, I mean, we, so we brushed over all sorts of stuff. Strom is now a cyborg. Superior yeah, German engineering. Yeah, superior German engineering. Yeah, uh, yeah, like, like I brushed over so much stuff. Like Strollheim's like increasingly becoming more and more cybernetic over the course of the series. As he fights more and more Pillarmen and loses every time. Um, he never loses like, his I, sense of superiority, though. Uh, <laughs> I rushed over the chariot race, which is which is Amazing. very much has that vibe of a Rocky watch. Um, finally got a uh, a really good VHS copy of Ben Hur and decided mm-hmm. to watch that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, like, um, battle tendency is basically like the, like talking about the movie influence. This is Indiana. This is still the Kung Fu movies plus Indiana Jones. Plus, um, having been reading some um, Saint Seiya, and then also Ben Hur. <laughs> uh, yeah. <And> yet, <laughs> I was I was vastly entertained. It worked. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Is it pulls from so many sources, very unashamedly, but it puts them together well. I mean, that that's the thing. Is like you know they say you know. Bad uh, bad writers borrow, uh, good writers steal, but it's how you transform the material you've taken, and Araki did a great job. I don't know if he even really stole material so much as just 
reference things like that he loved at the moment. Um, so I, I feel like I was sleeping on this show, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think if you are looking at this show, having never looked at it before, and you're like, what even is this? Um, that's fair. It took me into the second season to really be like, okay, this is amazing. Um, I think the first season, well, solid, is not... <laughs> first arc. The first arc, I'm yeah. sorry. Um, it... it it, it gets better and, and crazier and crazier and better and, and crazier and better and crazier. It just keeps going. Um, it's a nonstop escalation until you're fighting the ultimate life form in space. And I tend to avoid fighting anime because that is not my jam. Jojo is a fighting anime, but there is enough other stuff in there to sustain you and... The fights actually are quite entertaining. They don't go on for a million years, like in Dragon Ball Z. Um, There was a little bit of a tendency for the fights to become, I knew you were going to do that. Ah, but I knew you knew I was going to do that. Ah, but I knew that you knew that I knew. And It it became Yu-Gi-Oh of, ah, you've activated my trap card. (laughs) Ha, but uh, you see, I have a trap card negation card. I... Not to give too much away for Stardust Crusaders, because I have seen some of the previous adaptation of Stardust Crusaders. I should yeah, that, give that's a quick bit I, of background. That's where I am, too, in Stardust Crusaders. It's like, I've uh, seen I, some of the previous ones, so... Yeah, to give a quick background adaptation, is, this is not the first time JoJo has come to the United States, but this is the first time these story arcs have come to the United States. Um, there was a 12-episode adaptation. We'll get more into this next month. But there was a 12-episode adaptation of the Stardust Crusaders arc that came out back in like the late, the aughts or the nineties or something like that. The nineties. The nineties. Well, actually, it's like mid nineties. Yeah. It, it's a little of both. The production for that is weird. I will, we'll talk about that um, next month, but that was the first real exposure of Jojo more or less period in the United States like that. And the Capcom fighting game um, for the PlayStation. And so, this is, in a lot of respects, um, the first time that American audience have seen these stories. They're, they have actually received anime films before that were made that came out shortly before the twelve episode uh, series did, but those were like only released in Japan. They didn't get home video releases. They are they got the, a short run theatrical roadshow release and haven't been seen since. I would put them under the category of lost media at this point. Um, so getting the chance to see these stories told for the first time, to see this climactic showdown of Dio and Jonathan, um, which previously my own exposure of that was like five seconds, like 15 seconds at the start of the first episode, or like the first couple episodes of the OVA. Um, yeah, so you're coming was, at it from a completely different place. Yeah, it was like, I, like, I know, I, I came in knowing how, jo- knowing how uh, Jonathan's story ended. Because um, it has to end this way in order for uh, uh, Stardust Crusaders to happen, but knowing absolutely nothing of where things were going with um, Battle Tendency. And also, even then, that little snippet tells you nothing of how weird things can get for Phantom Blood either. Like with the... uh, Phantom Blood finds interesting ways to get little bits... not as the same level of weirdness escalation, but like you have uh, the two knights of um, uh, Mary, Queen of Scots. Um, God, I forgot about them. <laughs> with, with with the and, gi- and giving the um, uh, jo- Jonathan his sword of luck, and then adding the P on there, so it's the sword. Now it's his sword of luck and pluck. Luck and pluck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, and that sort of thing. Like, the, all these, like, really weird, fun little bits of escalation there, and then everything goes straight off the rails um, when we finally get to um, battle, te- get to battle Tendency. Also, I want to talk about how, like, like I appreciate very much, like, Anime before this have used Western licensed songs in them, and some of them have had difficulties bringing them to the U.S. release. Um, 
the anime speed grapher back in like the late 90s early 2000s they licensed girls on film by duran duran for their opening theme song and they and the i think it was bandai who licensed that and like basically went we can't afford girls on film we can't afford a top 40 hit by duran duran uh, we'll, we can put or to put it on the first episode, and then we will have something else for the opening credit, music opening credits. Ever since then, um, we, there was I think it was Techno Lies had Paranoid Android by Radiohead licensed for the theme song, and was the same thing there. Um, the um, Gundam Zeta, famously the original broadcast release, had a song by Neil Cicerega. Um, no, Neil, no, no, Neil Sadaka, Neil Sadaka, as um, who wrote who wrote the theme song for that, and nobody has been able to license that for U.S. release. Um, by contrast, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure this season has roundabout by yes, and it uses doesn't play the whole song at the closing credits for every episode, but it uses chunks of the song to very well done dramatic effect and impl and integrates it in the so show excellently uh i absolutely like you may have seen the meme on the, the roundabout meme online where like little do this the guitar bit with the introduction and then the song kicks in as the close as the to be continued line comes across the screen and the rest of the series just goes so far beyond that like for using like the big solo guitar solo later on for like a big dramatic moment when, when the episode is a big dramatic cliffhanger as opposed to a more suspenseful <coughs> cliffhanger and that sort of thing it's like really great integration of the music on there which is awesome yeah um i want to talk about characters in a little bit but first i just want to briefly mention the the fashion um <laughs> So it is my understanding that the the mangaka has done art for Gucci, I believe. Yes, they they, they did art for Gucci. They also did a uh, special edition uh, one chapter manga involving a character who we will re meet uh, next year probably. Um, Kisuribe Rohan. Um, so that's a character to look forward to. Um, They've done things with Kisuke Rohan both for um, Gucci and for the Louvre Museum, which is awesome. Um, yeah, I, I love the <laughs> love the fashion of this show. Uh, people have very distinctive looks. Um, Some of them cover their outfits in soap so they can make bubbles. And nobody stands normally. No. Oh, there is pose. Oh, yes. Everybody oh, vogues constantly, and it's amazing. There are cosplay workshops at conventions. Like there is basically like every since this show came out, every year at Kamorakon, <laughs> there has been at least one panel, sometimes two panels, on how to JoJo pose. How to vogue like JoJo. <laughs> um, like, like, like basic and advanced courses in JoJo posing. Um, it is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like this, like this takes takes the level of cosplay craft from beyond just making the costumes, but also these characters have very distinct poses and trying to figure out the body language to match those poses is impressive. Um, also, like uh, yeah, we talked about the <laughs> we talked about the English dub uh, earlier. I did not listen to much of the English dub for um, uh for Battle Tendency. I did listen to some of the English dub for uh, Phantom Blood. Um, Johnny Young Bosch is the voice of Jonathan Joestar. He is, he does well. Um, I don't know if Johnny's listening to this or not. This is not shade. But I will say John, um, Johnny Young Bosch's aptitude at a British accent is to a degree comparable to that of Keanu Reeves and Bram Stoker's director. I disagree, I gotta say. I think he's more Kevin Costner and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> no one can keep an accent in this show. No one. This I don't know if this was a direction thing, because Johnny Youngbosch is a... I mean, 
he is a prolific voice actor. We've done him tons of times. I don't think I've heard him do an, uh, an accent before, but no one on this show can keep an accent. So I don't know if that's being played up or if that was just who they hired. But yeah, the, no one in the dub can keep an accent. And even when they are doing accents, they're over the top. Like, they're not realistic. Like Strohans, yeah. They're just, they're too stereotypical. Exactly. I, I mean, at least with Strohheim, there are enough examples of over-the-top German accent. Right. Uh, high camp German yeah. accent. Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's got to be intentional. Yeah. In that case, for sure. It's got to be. Um... I mean, I mean, actually, to actually to a degree, there's a possibility. Like, I, I bring up Bram, um, uh, Coppola's Brand Pogba Dracula. It's also entirely possible that maybe been a deliberate choice on um, Johnny on Bosch's part. Like, hey, this is heavily influenced by Hammer Horror. Also, probably like, Coppola's Dracula wasn't out then, but I'm getting vibes of that with this. So I'm going to lean into the Keanu. <laughs> into the Keanu accent here yeah. rather than trying to play the accent straight. Straight. I have to say it didn't bother me. It did feel like just part of the vibe. Yeah, I, it, it <laughs> was. It, it, it's not the kind of thing that took you out, but it still yep. was noticeable throughout. Yeah. Much like the uh, fact that the colors change as the mood does. Uh, you can tell that the creator had a lot of fun going from one era to another. In the one-time jump that I've seen so far, I understand more coming. Uh, but you get to go from, like, Victorian England street fashion over to 1930s New York. Um, and he pulls in other influences as well. I would not say that the fashion is typical of the time period. I would say it is inspired by and influenced by the time period in which the stories are set. Um, but really he very funny. much does his own designs, um, which I enjoyed. <laughs> I also, I, I love the fact that, gosh, how do I want to say this? There are, there are qualities to the fashion and to the voguing and to the over-the-top expressions of emotion that in America our stereotypical culture would code as feminine but the male characters are allowed to have because they're full characters. Um, and I've always felt that Japanese media was better at that than American media at allowing male characters to be full people. Um, and so I always appreciate that when I get to see it. Like that, that was me trying to say that carefully. I hope you guys know what I meant <laughs> without trying to be offensive to anybody. Yeah, like, that, that makes sense. Cause also like, um, like you have the characters here who are like the Joe stars, but both, both of our Jojos emote a great deal in a variety of different ways um, from grief to, to supreme overconfidence um, to heavy machismo. And I think to a certain degree, actually the build kind of helps to that for an extent. Cause like probably like the other influence I'd say is a bit of an, um, Given a bit of like visual influence here, Fist of the North Star. Like, I mean, the Joe Stars are built like they are a more expressive, softer, emotionally softer Kenshiro in terms of just the massive muscular build. Um, like, uh, Jonathan Joestar looks like he could crush a crush a pumpkin between his thighs. Everything about them is just extra, right? They're extra big. <laughs> They're extra emotive, um, and I and I like that for them. Um, I, I do think it, it, it's interesting the trend for. Uh, fridging, I guess you would call it, because Caesar does kind of get fridged um, for JoJo's, I guess, progression there. Although you get the sense that he would have gone there on his own without Caesar dying. Yeah, same with uh, we, both. Both of the Zappellis get get basically fridged. Yeah, that family um, bit. <laughs> so there's this notion of like recurring roles through the generations as well, a little bit. But 
Yeah, I, I think generally the characters are done well enough that even though the tropes are present and they are obvious, um, as is inevitable in media, I just want to say that. Um, tropes aren't bad. Tropes aren't bad. They're, yeah. Yep. Um, you you do enjoy and empathize with most of the characters. Um, I was I was a little distressed by the end of Battle Tendency to find myself really rooting for von Stroheim, who is coded from the very beginning as a bad person doing bad Nazi things, and yet. Like Jojo, you can't help but kind of have a grudging respect for this dude and his commitment to the bit <laughs> that he is doing. <laughs> um, yeah, so you get to the end there and I was like, did Von Stroheim make it? He made it? Okay, cool. <laughs> he, yeah, but as the Where Are They Now shows, he died in the Battle of Stalingrad. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Stalingrad. Yep. Um... Also, speaking of the where are they now, weird bits of geography is on here with um, with Smokey being elected mayor of his home state of Georgia. Interesting. That's, um, <laughs> that's, a that, that's not... No, I mean, good, good optimism on him. <laughs> that's as optimistic as Jonathan Joestar himself. I, I, I mean, um, Smokey elected a mayor of Atlanta? Elected governor of Georgia. Okay, um, like I mean, like I mean, this is a, this is a significant time skip later. This could have been elected mayor of Atlanta in the eighties. Honestly, this reminded me of um, the mayor in Back to the Future. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, I'm gonna be mayor. <laughs> yes, you are. Good for you. <laughs> um, but like, but like, elected mayor of a state. I'm like. It definitely leads to definitely to that, that that thing where for like some anim, some um, anime create Japanese creators where their knowledge of America has large gaps. That that uh, actually is a, is an issue across uh, media in many 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 other countries is just but, not quite understanding just how big America is. Yep. Ex- Very large. Yep. Like not like the inter- not not. Yeah. The entirety of Great Britain is smaller than our state of uh, Oregon. <laughs> and Japan <Yeah>. is too. <laughs> yeah, like it, it, it is yeah. very much a case, yeah, which case, like, not understanding the size of, of, of the country, um, having, like, a, a degree, not necessarily understanding the, the rural-urban divide necessarily very well. Um, like... And having limited exposure of necessarily what the in of what cities look like necessarily, or like when you outside live of in New them. York, because because of movies, everybody knows what New York looks like, right? Yeah, oh, like New- <laughs> or Los Angeles, yeah, oh, LA. yeah. Um, but like it's like one of the things where, like, for example, for um, one of the things that that caught my interest when it came to the manga and the anime adaptations thereof of uh, Gunsmith Cats is the creator of that took multiple trips to Chicago, like to for location stouting, to get a feel of the city and parts of it. And when they did an anime adaptation of it, they took the entire animation staff out to Chicago, out to Chicago. Um, and so like, Oh, and like, um, I think actually to a degree and probably having so many anime conventions in the U S trying to bring American um, anime staff out here, probably to a degree is going to help further depictions of the U S in the future. Because it's one thing if you're like, like to make a classic example, it's one thing where for, if you're making mad bull 34 and your only exposure to what New York is, is, um, Italian knockoffs of the Dirty Harry movies, and maybe the Dirty Harry movies. Um, but it's another thing if you've like been out to a whole bunch of conventions, and now you've been out to San Diego Comic Con, you've seen San Diego, you've been out to Sakura Con and 
Aysen and all these other places, and you've had a chance to see these other cities, and the people who've brought you out have said, oh, while you're here, why don't you go see some, do some touristy things and go see the Portland Rose Gardens or go to a whole bunch of donut places or what are Powell's books or that sort of thing. Mm. And that gives that wider perspective for artistic reference. Um, this is a thing that I track a lot in novels that I read. There, there are authors who care about location and there are authors who it don't or who just want to tell their story without worrying too much about it. Like I've run the full gamut of um, <laughs> books and shows where the creators are definitely from there all the way to a book where the author throws out a little map and goes, this map is probably not accurate because I don't do geography. <laughs> I, 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 well, also, this you is... know, there's the ones where the works where, the, you know, the city, the location is itself a character in the work. That's true. That sometimes happens. Uh, like the um, uh, River series by Ben Aronovich. Ben Aronovich is someone who very clearly knows London and its history tremendously well. And it comes up there. And... Also, to be clear, this is not me singling out Japan for any of this. Um, Italian film does this a lot with New York. Um, and this isn't just a non-English speaking thing as well. Oh, no. <laughs> Famously, the song The Night Chicago Died, which is by an English band, um, has the event in question taking place. If you say, oh, on, if you go by where it's described as happening, it would have to happen in the middle of one of the lakes. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> uh, so like that so there's like this this is not a uniquely japanese thing this is a, a not a uniquely non-english speaking world thing this or non-english like, britain has this problem too probably like everywhere probably has america this problem of yeah. you, you either do the research you know you travel you see what it's like or you just assume hey i can just do a google image search I mean, how yeah. many Americans' perception of Africa is completely Asia. inaccurate? For Asia? <laughs> yeah. Like, Australia? <laughs> pretty much anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, like, with the, the like the depiction of, of England here by, uh, by Iraqi is also not necessarily particularly accurate either. It does have this very... <laughs> it does have the very vibe of England looks like the um, backlot sets at the Hammer Studio. Um, kind kind of thing, um, and that's fine. You know, for this particular yeah. story, the layout and history of London Town doesn't doesn't matter too much, you know. <laughs> it, and indeed, having that unreality oh, works in the story's favor because yes. everything is so high camp that if it was this that grounded, it would actually throw things throw you more. Just so. Uh, um, yes, you have to maintain tone because if you're very serious in one area and very camp in another, and you're doing those things at the same time, it's just disconcerting. The so, show has a very consistent tone. You know, every few minutes you're like, "What the? Of course, of course, this is happening!" Like you're initially surprised, and then you're like, "You know what? It make, it fits. It makes perfect sense. Why not?" Like, <laughs> pretty sure I said those words. Um, yeah. What, five times per episode? What the... Of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was great. Yeah. Um, um, no complaints. Uh, very much enjoyed the show. Uh, would absolutely recommend to pretty much pretty much everyone. I, there, there's not really like a certain group. I guess people who can't watch Animal Cruelty, I wouldn't recommend this to, but... But yeah, there's a little something in there's, there for a lot of different things. I mean, if you um, if you want for horror fans, they could definitely get into it that way, and then just get stuck along the ride. <laughs> if you don't like camp or over the top, maybe not for you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> if, that 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 is an accurate assessment. Is this is this is spectacularly over the top in so many respects yes. performances um like the opening music I, I also i mentioned i appreciate the changes in the music style between this between the two uh story arcs mm -hmm. it also kind of fits the anime of the time that that those arcs were originally published um and the the very high camp that you'd get for anime openings during that period uh i would say that the show is um 
the texture of the show is very dense. Even if the substance of the show is pretty easy to cruise along surface level, um, but you can really dig into all of the the music, the designs, the references and homages, um, and even like you said, like reflections of the era that the story is set in versus the area or pff, the era in which that particular part of the manga came out in. Um, so it's telling an entertaining story, but it's kind of all of that background stuff that makes it so interesting and gives it its longevity because you could just keep digging into that for ages. Like, <laughs> and the story is entertaining. So that, you yeah, know, there's that. It, <laughs> yeah. So next time we will be starting, starting off with Stardust Crusaders, where we'll be covering the first half of the series. Um, this was a 24 episode series, I believe. So, oh, uh, it was 24 48. I think it's, um, was it 48 spread across two seasons? Yeah, 48, seasons? yeah, 48 spread across two 24 seasons. That's so, nice, equal, nice, even split there. Um, yes, yeah, and so, and so this will work over a couple, so this will work for over a couple of months. How this will work for subsequent years will be a little, we'll figure that out off, off air because those are a little weirder, uh, in terms of how they're set up. We gotta break it down. <laughs> Yeah, so, but in the meantime, um, next time, again, we'll be starting uh, Stardust Crusaders. Again, this is available for streaming on Crunchyroll, on Netflix, on Hulu. Um, so you have plenty of options there. Don't be afraid to try it out. I did. I'm glad I did. If you are going to try it out, I will say stick with it at least a few episodes if the first one turns you off just keep going a little longer and to decide whether or not because the way it starts is not really